Hey, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing okay. You know, it's Christmas time and I don't know, it's felt odd this year. We've been doing so much just normal life stuff and with three busy teenagers, we're all over the map. So all the like holiday trapping things that we've done for ages, we just haven't been doing. Like we haven't gone out looking at Christmas lights. We haven't had like movie nights and stuff. It's just, it. we've just been so busy, but you know, evidently it's Christmas time and we're recording six days before Christmas. Yeah, it's coming. It's funny. That's exactly how I feel. We are in just a season of significant transition. Kristen's responsibilities at the college have changed. My work has changed and I'm still trying to figure out what that means. And the kids' lives have done a lot of changing. And so while we have actually done a lot of the wrapping things, it still has not felt a lot like Christmas this year. Which is an odd thing to say. I think we have a lot of expectations around like what Christmas is supposed to feel like. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of them are even accurate. Because I always hear people say, oh, it doesn't feel very much like Christmas. What does Christmas feel like? Hopefully it doesn't feel like tinsel getting caught underneath your shirt or something like that. That would just be an irritation. Oh, that sounds horrible. Have you had tinsel under your shirt? We're going to just ditch our plan and (laughs) we are going to start off with a which Josh question and it is going to be which Josh has had tinsel under his shirt. I'm going to go with neither of us. I don't think, like, I didn't say that from experience. This was like, I'm trying to invent like, what would Christmas feel like? And the only tangible thing I can think of at the moment was tinsel and Mm. I don't know. There you go. Okay. Just making sure, because that would be a story we all needed to hear. However, since you have not had tinsel under your shirt and do not have an awesome story to tell us about that, perhaps I should go back to the original reason why I'm calling. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, please do. Please do. All right. It is the end of the year. We're going into a brand new year. And every year, we have a tradition as friends of talking through our reading goals for the upcoming year. So I want to talk about reading goals today. Uh, I am really looking forward to this because I've got some of my reading goals nailed down and others are still a little up in the air. So I often leave these conversations with a lot more clarity about where I want to go with my reading. So yeah, let's do it. All right. That's perfect. I am in a similar spot. I have thought about this a lot, but I need some help clarifying as well. But let's go with you first. Tell me what you've got so far as far as reading goals go for 2024. Yeah. So I have some goals that remain constant, some big bucket categories that I want to check off every single year. So I always want to read a scholarly New Testament book and a scholarly Old Testament book. I always want to read a commentary of some sort. And I want to read a few books in the category that I'm calling Christian Faith and Practice. And I want to read a few books in the counseling and psychology realm and a few books in the history or biography realm. So three each, Christian Faith and Practice, Counseling and Psychology, History and Biography. And then I want to read at least one classic and at least one good theology book. And then after that, I can just 
sprinkle in whatever I feel like. And so I've got some of these big bucket categories figured out, but I don't have all of them figured out. So yeah, I don't know where you want to start, but do you have suggestions for me on a scholarly Old Testament book? It feels to me like there are so many good New Testament books out there, and I kind of don't know where to start with the Old Testament. So I'm wondering what you have for me. So I have a couple of thoughts here. One of them you can't steal because it is tentatively on my list. So maybe I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to anyway. Um, (laughs) James Hamilton wrote a two-volume commentary on the book of Psalms. And I am assuming we are going to do our Psalms series that we did this last year again. And this makes it onto my reading list because of the Psalms series. Mm. Hamilton is one of the very few Psalms commentators who tries to make the argument that there is an intentional sculpting of the canon of the Psalms. So a Psalm is placed in a particular place in the Psalm of Psalms for a reason, generally speaking. And I'm really curious to read somebody who has written from that perspective. Yeah. So other than that, I don't know that I have a lot of great Old Testament names. You know, we love some of the same people here. Like this is the Sandra Richters of the world. Um, yeah. That obviously anything she writes is going to be amazing. But you spent some time reading her this year. So I'm guessing you're looking for something different. Yeah, not because I want to get away from Richter, but because I just want to make my reading pretty broad. So maybe we could come at this from a different angle. Maybe that what you need to do here is broaden in from Old Testament. Is there a particular part of the Old Testament, a particular theme in the Old Testament that you are more interested in? Well, to be honest, I have been studying Isaiah recently, and my method for studying Isaiah has been to read the book numerous times and to listen to the lectures by John Oswalt on Isaiah. However, John Oswalt takes a view that is not common in the academy today, that all 66 chapters of Isaiah were written by Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And in the academy, there is a view that chapters 1 through 39 were written by Isaiah, and everything else was written by one, maybe two other people later, and they were all smushed together as one book. And mm. I would like to read something about Isaiah from the other perspective, because he makes some arguments as to why he sees this all being written by one author. I would like to hear the arguments on the other side to see what I make of it. Ooh. So, you know, you've told me about Denver Seminary's commentary. Uh... Yeah, that's called the Denver Journal. And I go there every time I'm going to do a sermon. And it's free to everybody, by the way. You don't have to be a Denver Seminary graduate. So you can just type into a search engine, Denver Journal, go to the most recent issue, and their faculty curates a list of books and particularly commentaries that they suggest for each book of the Bible or in each topic you might encounter. And 
it's wonderful. They even, especially in the commentary series, they put an asterisk next to the ones that they particularly favor and say, look, if you're going to spend some money on a commentary, choose one of these with an asterisk. So it's great. I always try to start there with all of my reading on a passage because they've already done some digging to find out who are the real good scholars here that we need to be paying attention to. So uh, good question. I have not gone to their Old Testament annotated bibliography, but I'm going to do that as we speak. Yeah, because I'll say that if you're going to read Old Testament and you have a choice, what I might try to do is read something by John Golden Gay. Yeah. That would be the guy that I'd be curious to hear from as someone who has been deeply influential in the field long enough that he is an established voice, but he is going to come from a, a had more liberal of a place than we come from, but still, I think, in the fold, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Golden Gate does have one that is just Isaiah 40 to 55, and it is a literary theological commentary. So it might give you a chance to kind of dig in deep into that one segment and therefore get his sort of view of the whole. Yeah. So Golden Gay has one on 56 to 66, and the faculty at Denver Seminary has marked that with an asterisk. And so their annotation says, exhaustive, close reading of the Hebrew text with many helpful insights, critical evangelical. So interesting. Well, I'll peruse his monographs and see what comes of that. So that's a good tip. So uh, what about you? Wait, you kind of intimated that you have some hangups with your reading list this year. What's going on? So the thing I'm wrestling with this year is a quality versus quantity question, because I'm trying to read a lot. I will burn through books. Like you mentioned that you are listening to the book of Isaiah multiple times over in order to kind of really dig into it. I won't do anything like that because I don't get credit for it. (laughs) I won't listen to a class because I don't get credit for it. It's a strength and a weakness. I will streamline down to just the basic expectations or standards that I have set for myself. This is exceptionally dangerous, especially when reading time really needs to encompass reading time and listening time. And so I'm asking myself a question about how to focus on quality this year rather than quantity. I will read a bunch of things just automatically. Like I don't have to put a fantasy goal in front of myself. I will read fantasy books. That just will happen. Right. But I've got it down to three basic categories that I want to think about this year. And those categories are mindfulness, Bible, and classics. And I'm just asking myself, how do I focus on those things without getting caught up in page count as the end goal? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. That's something that I wrestled with going into seminary, where I felt like up to that point, I had been a consumer of books, and I just would line them up and knock them out. And so there wasn't a lot of time for built in for reflection or processing or 
really grasping the full quality of the quantity I was consuming. And I looked to seminary to kind of force my hand into some better processing. And that really took the form of writing papers. I was forced to really boil down what I was reading into my own thoughts and start incorporating all of these disparate ideas into some coherent whole. And it was a really good practice. But I got to say, it was a good practice because somebody else was holding my feet to the fire. I had to turn that paper in and I wanted to do a good job on the paper. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it came down to the last minute because I would procrastinate or I whatever. So I don't know if that's a solution for you because for me, I don't know if I would write those papers without somebody forcing me to write those papers. Yeah, no, exactly. I think as I think about it, what's the equivalent of that? Because you're right. The way to not be a consumer of media is to find places and spaces in your life to engage the material rather than just spitting it out. Yeah. Right? I think a chunk of this we actually do here. Agreed. Either one of us gets to set topics for our conversations, and so some of our topics need to be here. Another thing I think that I'm going to want to do is not focus on page count this year. Like I'm going to have to choose, actively choose things that don't necessarily have pages and dig into multiple elements that all tie together, but don't necessarily have a page count. So for example, in the, in the context of the Bible, one of the things I was thinking about was really digging into the book of Revelation. I read a great book by Peterson on the book of Revelation this year, and really want to think about it more. But I'll be honest, I did not read the book of Revelation multiple times because I wouldn't get credit for it. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, great example of missing the point. Okay. So it's super interesting that you talk about the book of Revelation because that came up in a prior conversation when you talked about how good Peterson's book was. Mm-hmm. And I have since started looking at other books about Revelation, and I'm totally in. Like As soon as I'm done with my Isaiah study, I want to do a study on Revelation. And I don't know how this intersects with you or with our podcast, but I am drinking the Kool-Aid here. So I would certainly be open to, I don't know that we need to spend 10 weeks on the book of Revelation, but I think setting aside a certain set of times where our thoughts may be, are coming from our reading, listening, meditating on Revelation would be fascinating. When are you done with your Isaiah stuff? You probably don't know yet. I don't. I think I have probably six or seven lectures left, so six or seven weeks from now. So, you know, mid-February, I should be ready to go. But listen to some of these other titles that I uh, looked up. So, One of my professors in seminary was uh, David Mathewson, and he is a Revelation scholar. And I didn't take a Revelation class from him. I took a Greek class from him. But he has a companion to the book of Revelation. That sounds really intriguing. And then you gave me Revelation Through Old Testament Eyes by Tremper Longman, which sounds great. But Richard Bauckham wrote a book called The Theology of the Book of Revelation. And I just love Richard Bauckham. So 
that would be great. And then, you know, added to that, the ones we already mentioned on the podcast, reading Revelation Responsibly and Reversed Thunder by Eugene Peterson. Boy, wouldn't that just be an amazing study? Oh, absolutely. The only other, I mean, there's a couple other things I might throw in. Uh, On a more theological side, I have always wanted to read, so remember Amos Young? Oh, yeah. Young, who is a deeply Pentecostal thinker, but also a very original thinker, one of the only commentaries he's ever written was on the book of Revelation. Oh, wow. And that just seems like that would be fascinating to read. Okay. So, yeah, again, I don't know how it intersects with the podcast, but it sounds like we might be diving into the book of Revelation at similar times this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I have discovered, at least for me, I can't read four books about the same thing back to back. That does not work well for me. So we'll have to find a way to do this that it's we can intersperse. But yeah, so what about some of your other categories? Yeah, I am really excited by some of these. I am looking at my classic this year. I might read Lonesome Dove. In the 80s, it was turned into a miniseries. It's a Western I I really love, just absolutely adore Louis L'Amour. And so, you know, in that cowboy genre, Lonesome Dove is such a classic. So I would love to dive into that and just see what that's all about. So I think that would be fun in my classic. But then I have two books by Walter Isaacson that I'd like to do in my biography section. One on Einstein. Did you read that already? I actually have not. Okay. And then the other on Leonardo da Vinci. Did you read that one? I Again, I have not. Okay. I am actually behind on my Walter Isaacson reading. Okay. Me too. But uh, this year I aim to fix that. So I'm excited with those two books in my history and biography section, but I'm still looking for a third. And so I wonder if you have some suggestions in that genre. So one that comes to mind that is just an interesting combination of things. You remember Edmund Morris, who wrote the Teddy Roosevelt trilogy? Yeah. Have you read his memoir of Ronald Reagan? No. So this is on my to-read list, just because he's a delightful author, and I am incredibly intrigued that we are at the point in history where Ronald Reagan is historical reading. (laughs) Right. So that is one that I would suggest. The other one, if you have not read anything about Jimmy Carter... It is time to read something about Jimmy Carter, my friend. And I'm not sure you have. I have not. You're right. Oh. I'm really all for long dead presidents. Um, The more recent folks, it just have not made my list yet. I'll tell you, if I'm going to advocate for something, actually, I will advocate for Jimmy Carter solely because he is a wonderful example of someone who is trying to live out his Christian faith while doing one of the hardest jobs in the world. And this is evident to everybody around him. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I don't think that there is anybody who would disagree with that statement. And the fact that we could speak with one voice about anything concerning a president is pretty amazing. So 
if we can all say that about Carter, like way to go. Yeah. So I have read his memoir of his presidency, which is amazing. I've read a biography that was by one of the guys in his cabinet, which was also amazing. And then I've read Beyond the White House, which is his memoir that he wrote, man, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. That is what he had been doing since the White House up until that time. First of all, it's narrated by Jimmy Carter. So it's amazing. But, you know, this is the president who decided, well, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life not being president, I'll do something small. So I'm going to try to fix voting in the world. I'm going to try to stop there from being disease in Africa. And then one other thing, and I can't remember what it is. So, you know, he went for some small things. (laughs) So if I'm given a voice on that vote for biography, man, read something about Jimmy Carter. Everybody needs to read about Jimmy Carter. Okay. All right. I'll look to see what's out there and what should make my list. That sounds great. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the Revelation study and maybe having side conversations helps you focus on quality in addition to quantity. But what else are you looking at adopting this year that helps you maybe tackle both or at least the quality section? You know, as I look at my various categories, most of these, there are classes, either, you know, great courses kind of things that are available on audio or things like that. I think a piece of this is being willing to take the time to listen to things that are not necessarily every category of that I'm looking at, there is something like this in. So for example, in the mindfulness category, I want to read some books by people like Dan Siegel and John Kabat-Zinn, who are scholars who really began to talk through and think through why mindfulness is important on a scientific level. But there is also, I mean, there's a course that you can listen to the lectures on that is literally called The Science of Mindfulness, A Research-Based Path to Well-Being. That just sounds amazing to me. And uh, the same is true, like one of the classics that I would like to read this year is The Republic. There are plenty of great classes on The Republic. And I would like to read it and then listen to a class on it while I'm reading it. Are you going to read it in Greek? I am not. My my <laughs> koine is not good. My classic Greek is non-existent. <laughs> so I'm going to go with no. Okay. But uh, I think that's it. It's being willing to curate resources from anything from a class to a podcast. I'm going to focus on areas I want to grow in. You know, especially something like the thing that got me thinking about this is mindfulness. It is more important that I practice mindfulness every day than it is that I read about it. Mm. And I want to do the reading and I want to be educated about why this is important. But I also want to spend time every day actively practicing mindfulness apart from Bible and prayer. You know, this is a different category in my head. And the same is true of classics. I have all sorts of things I'm interested in, like I said, uh, whether it's The Republic or E.S. Eliot or 
I have never finished Moby Dick. Mm. I think this is the year because it is stunning. Like it's, it is great writing. Every time I've never I read, read it, I'm like, man, it's, I mean, the opening sentences are just beautiful. Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particularly to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It's a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, grisly November in my soul, I just think that is absolutely beautiful language. Whenever it is a deep, dark, grisly November in my soul, I want to read more of an author like that. But I want to do more than just read it. I want to, coming back to my kind of quality over quantity thinking, I want to actually think about what is being written here and how it's being written and, and grow in my appreciation for this as a work of art. Yeah, I also want to challenge myself a bit this year. And I think my challenge for myself is going to be a theological one. I want to push the boundaries of my normal theological lens. And so one of the books I want to read this year is a book called Fight by Preston Sprinkle. Have you read this? I haven't. Uh, I actually haven't heard of it. So this is Preston Sprinkle's wrestling with the idea of whether or not Christians should be engaging in war or whether or not Christians should be pacifists. Ooh. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because you know he's got family members that are in the military. He grew up very much on the war is okay category, but he changed his mind theologically over time. And so this is him kind of wrestling with all sides of that issue and kind of landing on Christian pacifism. And he is such a careful scholar, but also a very generous one that is willing to entertain all sides. And so I just really want to hear him out and see why he chose what he chose. Ooh. Yeah. But then I also want to read uh, Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. Mm, that's a great book. Oh, good. You've read it. Yeah. It was actually required reading at my church in Boston. Oh, that's brilliant. I'd Wow, that's cool that a pastor would require that. Why do you like it so much? You know, and this is, I think, a big chunk of why it was required reading. It is wildly important that we acknowledge that not only our theology and our theological perspectives, but our sociological experience puts blinders on us when we come to Scripture. Mm. And Jesus and the Disinherited is a great opportunity to be challenged in some of the areas where we have blinders as white American evangelicals. We are so quick to give people a pass on certain social issues when they were historically just egregiously horrible in the way that they landed on things like slavery or the treatment of other people. And yet, when someone like Thurman, who actively sought to follow Jesus, but his experience of life leads him to a different theological place, we are so quick to be dismissive. Mm. And 
I think that dismissiveness narrows our world in unfortunate ways and pigeonholes God in unfortunate ways. Yeah, it's breaking out of those pigeonholes that is exactly why I come to this book. I need somebody whose experience and whose theological lens is different than mine to give me something new mm-hmm. to chew on and, and think on and challenge my own assumptions on. Exactly. Man, I'm so excited. This whole conversation has gotten me really interested in our 2024 reading. Uh, I think you know, our own individual paths, but then they're going to intersect in some really cool ways at times. And so I'm looking forward to conversations that that's going to spark. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a great moment to turn to the audience and say, hey, if this episode or any of our other episodes have sparked something for you and you'd like to share this with a friend, please do that. We would love for you to sit down with a friend and talk about, hey, what what are you going to be reading this year? And how do you want to grow through your reading, both of other books and through reading the Bible? So start that conversation. You'll be surprised where it goes. I've been surprised where this one has gone. Yeah, very much so. And and we would love to hear from you, whatever you're comfortable sharing, let us know what books are you wanting to read? And even as we're wrapping up a year here, what are some of the best books you've read in the last year? We would love to hear that. We'd love to hear what are some ways that you'd just even more broadly like to grow over the next year? If you could take this one year and focus on one area and think to yourself as 2025 began, boy, I focused on this and I am so pleased with the outcome of that work. What would that one area be? Yes. That's such a good question. Mm. Well, I want to know, Josh from Missouri, besides all of our future reading, what have you been thinking about? All right. Well, I don't think I've talked about this so far, but one of the people that I read actually, for this very same reason you were talking about Preston Sprinkle's book and Jesus and the Disinherited, I have Wendell Berry on my list of people that I read Hmm. because he is from a very different theological place. He's quite a bit more theologically liberal than I am. And he is an ardent advocate of rural America as it once was. And I just finished reading Anna Coulter, one of his novels about a made-up town that he called Port William. And it goes through her entire life. And a number of things were wonderful about it. But one of the things I love, uh, Hannah Coulter, the main character, grows up between World War I and World War II, gets married just post-World War II, and lives through the majority of the rest of the 20th century. And he captures in a way that I could understand the experience of aging and becoming an empty nester and a grandparent and watching your children do things that you may or may not have expected. And this sort of noble valuing of place that was far more true in a generation before us and watching your own cultural values not be inherited by your children and your grandchildren. And so you see the world changing 
And I am still of an age when I am on the side of the world has changed and that is a good thing. And I am still often the son in some of these conversations that I have with my parents rather than being the parent uh, of these conversations with my own kids. So it was really wonderful to be invited into a vantage point of someone who is the parent of older adult children Mm -hmm. to see what that was like, to see what is gained and what is lost and what it means to lead well and with nobility and to acknowledge the realities of the world as it changes while holding on to one's own values and to wrestle with the tensions of those things. It just invited me into a radically different perspective than I've had. And I was super grateful for that. Hmm. That does sound good. Yeah, it was wonderful. It'll be curious as we age to see how our views of the changes in society, like how we quantify that and what, how we value that. Uh, yeah. And audience, tune in because we currently have that scheduled to be what we're going to talk about in episode 1000. So stick with us. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's funny because you joke about episode 1000 and that's just so far away. But at the same time, you and I have no desire to really ever stop doing the podcast. I mean, God could tell us to stop and that's fine. But episode 1000 is not out of the realm of possibility. Yep. I would guess the delivery mechanism might change because technology changes, but we're still going to be talking 20 years from now. Yes, whether we include an audience or not, but yes. Yeah, but speaking of, that's what I've been thinking of. What have you been thinking about lately? Yeah, we're on a general theme here about expanding our worldview. I am reading a book right now called Inventing Latinos. And I am ashamed to say that this author is talking about history that I know very, very little about. You know, we talked a moment ago about Jesus and the disinherited and how it communicates a story of African American slavery and a general time frame that whether we like to dwell on it or not, at least we as white evangelicals are aware of that history. What I think and I've not heard much about is the United States' involvement in Latin America and the different covert things that they've done to appoint leaders or remove leaders and you know even through assassination or to exploit countries and bring in american corporations that kind of throw their weight around and all of the different things that have happened in the united states involvement in latin america and how it contributes to some of the immigration issues that we have today because We've caused some destruction in these countries, and as a result of that destruction, people are seeking a new way of life, and they're coming to the United States, and we're turning them away. Now, this is all brand new information, and so I don't know how to quantify her skills as a historian. I don't know how to quantify her analysis of what contributes to what and to to what extent we can attribute the border crisis directly to the United States' historic involvement in Latin American countries. I don't know how to quantify all of this. This is my first pass at this information. And I think that's my thought. 
Why is this my first pass at this information? Mm. This is a part of our history. It's not a pleasant part of our history, but it's clearly one that we choose to ignore because I don't know much about it at all. Now, I know just vaguely enough to know that she's talking about actual events that like, she's clearly not making up. But beyond that, I just don't know. So I'm really appreciative of her analysis and for her recounting of history. And this is a part of our history that I'd like to dive into more because we can't turn a blind eye to the so Abraham Lincoln has this great phrase, the better angels of our natures. Like, I don't think we can turn a blind eye toward the worse angels of our natures. And that's good. I didn't know this book existed. And it. I immediately pulled up my uh, must read list and added it because that sounds really valuable to have read. Oh, man. And it's captivating writing. I was listening to this on my drive home the other day, and I needed to stop at the store so I'm like, okay, don't forget to take this exit. Don't forget to take this exit. And so I took the exit, but then I took a wrong turn after the exit because I was so focused on the book. So then I turned on directions to get to the store because I'm like, okay, look, I just need somebody to guide me through this so I can focus on the book. And I, in my haste, pulled up the wrong store. And so I started getting directions to the wrong place, ultimately figured out, wait, I'm going the wrong way again, and then had to turn around <sighs> and go to the store on my own directions. And all of that because I was so engrossed in this book. So I don't know if that's a commercial or not, but there you go. Ooh, it sounds like it. So. Oh, man, I can't wait. That's going to have to go on my list. I just added it. Okay. Well, this next segment is our Witch Josh question. And I will say, with the very rare exception, when we ask a Witch Josh question, we always know the answer. But today's Witch Josh question, we don't yet know the answer. Yeah. So the question is, which Josh read the most books this year? Ooh. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. 99, not 99, 75% of the time, I do not have a shot at even being in the competition on this one. I might. Uh, so uh, we'll have to compare books read and page count because those, you know, you could read a lot of picture books and it doesn't quite count. So fire away. How many books have you read this year? Okay. Well, I got a question because I'm going to count every book that I read in 2023, but I'm going to finish Inventing Latinos by the end of the year. And there's another book called Demystifying Disability that is really, really short. And I think I'm going to have time to squeeze it in at the end. And so do you want my assumptions of what I'm going to read? Like, do you want the total page count and book count? I was going to ask the exact same question because I have two books that I'm going to knock out in the next couple of days. And then one book that I'm going to knock out over the, I mean, we have about 10 days left of the year and I will easily finish. I mean, I have a spreadsheet with a schedule, so I know I'm going to read them because if it's in a spreadsheet, it's real. Okay, so I have a spreadsheet with a schedule as well. Oh my gosh, that's the, that's the most nerdy thing we have in common is mapping <laughs> our reading schedule in a spreadsheet. Yep. So I would say let's go with what we will finish by the end of the year. Okay. Because by the time this comes out, we will have accomplished those things. Okay. All right. So assuming all goes according to plan, 
I will have read 45 books and 14,375 pages. All right. By the end of the year, I will have read 52 books. What? And 15,000, almost 16,000 pages. Oh, man, Uh, you crushed me. You're going to do a book a week this year. I am going to do a book a week this year. About half fiction, half nonfiction. Yeah, I have been cranking this fall. So, I yeah, yeah. I'm big. I'm excited. My first win. I'm really excited that you're going to win. Honestly, because I actually felt bad that this was the witch Josh question. I was like, oh man, I always win. So why do we have to talk about it? But no, you're crushing me this year. You're going to read probably sixteen hundred more pages than me, and seven more books. Yeah, you can tell that I'm the guy who picks the Witch Josh questions because I had a feeling I might win. I didn't know for sure. I didn't know for sure. But I did know that it was going to be at least pretty close. So, Well, congratulations. Yeah. Josh from Missouri yeah. is the book reading winner this year. Woohoo! <laughs> I have my hands up in the air, which is a really weird thing to do when you're recording a podcast because nobody can see it. Well... Wave them around like you just don't care. I am. I am. And I, in fact, do care, though. So that's (laughs) awkward. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we made the Witch Josh question awkward because that is on brand. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, are we on for next week? All right. Looking forward to it. All right. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye. Yeah.